Welcome to Valkyrie, a true crime podcast. A Valkyrie is a North mythological figure known to be the chooser of the slain in battles to be resurrected in Valhalla alongside Odin. Known for being brave, strong, courageous, and fair while being fearsome fighters on the battlefield. So lock your doors, bolt your windows, and settle in for a discussion of the most dark, terrifying, and mysterious crime stories from around the world. When a local waitress befriends a lonely man who regularly visits her diner, she may see a darker side to him than she expects. This is the story of Darlene Bauer. Hey there, and welcome to Valkyrie, your podcast for true crime stories. I'm your host, Dee. This week, we travel to my hometown area in the Hudson Valley, about 90 miles north of New York City in the quiet town of New Paltz, New York. New Paltz is a small town of about 14,000 residents known for its SUNY College and also where city folk like to come up in the fall to go leaf peeping when the leaves change color. There's also a stunning hotel in the mountains called the Mohonk Mountain House. Uh, I know a lot of people who've actually gotten married there. It's absolutely gorgeous, kind of like an old timey area, if you will. They have a lake, a place to climb, uh, to do mountain climbing. They have lots of hiking trails. They have this um, piece called the Lemon Squeeze, which is essentially a wooden ladder built into the crack of two large rocks, which leads up to a lighthouse, which overlooks the entire Hudson Valley. Highly recommend if you're ever in this area, especially in the fall when you see the leaves change in color. It's absolutely stunning. Some notable people from New Paltz include heavyweight boxer Floyd Patterson, actor John Tortoro, and apparently Peter Dinklage has a home there, according to the Internet. But let's go way back to the late 1900s, as my daughter calls it, to 1997. This is the Northeast. We don't have Waffle House or Huddle House. We have local diners, places you can go to grab breakfast, lunch or dinner, or cheese fries with gravy at 3 a.m. after a night out at the local bars. Again, this is a college town, as I mentioned, so those bars are always are always open pretty late. Uh, the diners are known to have their regulars, people mostly men who would come in pretty much every day um, or are there so often that you know their life story. Some are lonely, some have family, some are workers that just, and some people just really love their burgers. <laughs> it's no surprise that some of the time these regulars have like a regular seat, they have a regular waitress, a waitress that knows everything about them, and, and really every diner has these. So if you've ever been to a diner, they're they're very prevalent, especially in the Northeast. But you'll if you walk in consistently, you will always see essentially the same group of people sitting in the same spot, having the same exact conversation. Now, New Paltz uh, at the time they had two main diners in this town. They had the College Diner, which is actually now closed, and they had the Plaza Diner. The Plaza Diner sits in front of a local grocery store strip mall that also has a small movie theater a bank, an auto parts store, a liquor store, and has some other small stores. I remember there being like a pet store in there back in the day. Uh, Decent diner food overall, and it's situated in a pretty heavy traffic area of the town. At the Plaza Diner in 1997, there was a 28-year-old waitress named Darlene Bauer who had recently lost her one-year-old son who had been in the hospital most of his life. The stress of the loss made Darlene lose about 80 pounds over the next few months. Darlene was known as a hard worker and someone who saved her money consistently. She saved up her money to buy her home that she bought in New Paltz and paid the down payment in cash. She also was known to have a really, really huge heart. So when her son did pass away, she took $5,000 worth of his unused medicine and gave it to another sick child in a local, uh, in, local to the Hudson Valley in Orange County, New York, whose parent was kind of struggling to afford these medications 
Um, and since she she really didn't have a need for it anymore, she donated it to them. I think that's amazing because that's a lot of money. She had this intoxicating smile, people say, that just made you want to speak with her. She just seemed very approachable, very warm, very open. And now that Darlene had lost her son, she had uh, taken on a few extra shifts at the diner when another waitress had moved on. Now, when a waitress moves on, uh, typically any waitress that takes over that shift means that she also takes over the regulars that come in during that shift. Uh, One of these regulars that came in on the shift that Darlene took over was Barry Weingartner. Barry was a 43-year-old unemployed security officer who had just lost his father and was essentially just living off the inheritance. He was at the diner every day, and he really took a liking to Darlene. They bonded over the loss of family members and also their recent weight loss. Barry had himself had just lost 150 pounds. Barry was also known to be on a couple of antidepressant medications to help him cope with the loss of his father and to help keep his moods in check because he was known to have significant mood swings. He was also diagnosed with being an obsessive compulsive, um, having OCD, as I said. He, he thinks this is why he was so heavy at one point in his life. He was determined to overcome it. So he, was, he felt like he was obsessed with food. So he really, you know, this was his way of kind of just backing out of that and, and, and taking control of his life. At one point, Barry was actually struggling with his medication and he, just, he decided he just wanted to get off the pills. The problem is that he just stopped taking his antidepressant medications. Now, most of these medications say you should not just stop cold turkey. They always recommend that you contact your doctor for a plan to potentially wean you off if it's necessary. Or the doctor may even just talk you out of stopping them because you are probably put on them for a reason or especially if you're on more than one as Barry was. Over the next few months, he became very friendly with Darlene. Uh, reports also state that while they never were dating um, or were never together, they were never a couple, but they they did take trips together. So um, one one trip that they took, they went away to Long Island. They stopped apparently at some diners along the way. I think Barry really liked diner food or it was just their way of kind of keeping parts of their hometown with them while they were traveling to other parts of the country or to, in this case, in other parts of the state. When they became really, really close friends, and again, you know, all the indications say that they weren't necessarily a couple, but they were just really, really close friends. Uh, he still came to the diner every day. He wanted to hang out with Darlene. They took these trips, as I said, and then they would help each other out with household things, uh, you know, like friends do, like, hey, I, I need help with uh, moving furniture or something to that effect. On September 18th, though, Barry was struggling to hang some curtains in his apartment. He called Darlene to say, hey, can you come over and help me hang these curtains? Something just doesn't, you know, I'm just not able to do it all by myself. I just need an extra set of hands. Seems pretty harmless to me. So Darlene went. Again, they were friends, right? Not sure what exactly set him off or if this was something he had kind of premeditated in his case. But as Darlene comes over and starts to help him with hanging these curtains, he starts to hit Darlene over the head with a hammer. Uh, It's the same hammer he was using previously to try and hang these curtains. He proceeds to hit Darlene with the hammer over 50 times over the next 40 minutes. That seems like an excruciating fight to me. Like you you would get really, really tired, I would think, at that point. And it does sound from the reports that that Barry himself, the interviews that Barry himself had actually made, um, that he does actually stop. He tells reporters uh, after the fact that he stopped at one point because Darlene was reciting the Lord's Prayer and he stopped to lay down with her and join her with in that prayer. He then got up and continued to hit her more and more. The second time he stopped, he laid down with her to recite the prayer again. But at that point, she was only able to make groans and was not even able to form words anymore. When he was finished with Darlene, 
he called his brother in Rochester, New York, and confessed to him what he had just done. His brother naturally freaked out and called the cops. Barry left his house, his apartment that he was in, still covered in the blood from the attack, and went to that plaza diner, the place where he goes every day to see Darlene, where her friends, her coworkers work. Uh, he walks in, and the waitresses uh, and the other owners, they saw him as he walked in, and they, they freaked out. You know, he's covered in blood. Uh, he came in, he saw the waitresses who recognized him since he was there all the time, and he told them what he had just done. He had just finished killing Darlene. They immediately call the cops. So Barry freaks out from there and leaves, but he goes back home. The cops were actually waiting for him at his home since his brother had called the first time. He was then immediately arrested for that. Against the guidance of his lawyer, Barry wanted to hold interviews with newspapers and and the Associated Press. He wanted to recount what happened that night. He discusses the reason that he had to kill Darlene was that he was becoming obsessed with her. And the only way he felt that he could cure his obsession was to remove the obsession. I can think of a few other ways you might want to do that, but besides hitting somebody with a hammer. But in his case, this this is the way he felt that was the only way he could kind of get over his obsession with Darlene. He also looked at it as the perfect way out of this because then she could go be with her son in which he knew that she, you know, she was lonely um, and she she missed him terribly as any mother would. Right. He wanted to also harm himself and join them together, but apparently he had changed his mind. A few days later, on November 7th, Barry was officially indicted and the trial began in the summer of 1998 in the Ulster County Court. After going through an assessment to determine his mental capacity, he was found to be mentally competent to complete the trial. He, of course, was found guilty of second-degree murder, having admitted to everything and even held several interviews discussing the specifics of what he called the event. He was sentenced to 24 years to life. The judge indicated that while the sentence indicated that he had the opportunity for parole, his suggestion was that Barry not be let out. So Barry today is currently still serving his sentence in the Clinton Correctional Facility in upstate New York, which is a maximum security prison. This prison is sometimes called New York's Little Siberia because it's very remote in its location. And it was actually once an insane asylum. So I don't know, maybe it sounds fitting for Barry in this case. This place uh, is also the facility that Joel Rifkin, who's known as Joel the Ripper, who was convicted of killing as many as 17 people between 1989 and 1993. He's also having a stay there. The guy who's known as a New York Zodiac killer or the Brooklyn sniper, he's got two names. He uh, shot nine people from 1990 to 1994 before he was caught. He's also there with Barry. And Leslie Torres, who who attacked 11 people in January of 1988 in New York City. So he's got some great company. Um, Although Barry was eligible for parole on September 15th, 2021, he is still serving his sentence. And his next parole hearing is May 2025. So we'll have to keep watch on that to see if he's able to be let out. But again, the judge's suggestion was that he, he not be let out, even though it does say that he has that opportunity to do so. So that's the story of Darlene Bauer. What do you think? If you like this podcast, please remember to follow us and subscribe. You can find us on t- Instagram at Valkyrie underscore true crime. You can also find us on TikTok at Valkyrie podcast, all one word. Um, and if you'd like, we can post the source material for this episode. Look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.